Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. My friend and a former guest on the show, Garrett Gunderson, first introduced me to today's guest, Chris Smith, after he actually hired him to consult his firm, Wealth Factory. He said, Brad, Chris has to come on the show. And after a 15-minute intro call with Chris, it was clear Garrett was right. Chris also happens to be just about the only guest I think I've had on who happens to know anything about a small-town Kansas fairground tradition called team roping. So to say we instantly had some rapport is an understatement. But I digress. Chris and his team teach businesses how to integrate their origin story into everything their company does. He's the creator of the Campfire Effect, which is a methodology designed to make your team, your partners, and your clients feel a true oneness and connection. The beautiful thing for you all is it was literally born in our industry as it came from Chris helping his former business partners merge two long-standing financial services firms in Arizona. And most importantly, create a brand and client experience that attracted clients to them. He's helped everyone from startups, small businesses, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies clarify their story. And I know you all are going to love this conversation. So here's just a little bit of what we get into. We start out with the origin story of the campfire effect, including the lessons Chris uncovered about creating powerful connections with prospects and articulating how to better serve them. Then we cover the step-by-step experience that Chris and his team created for every prospect that walked into their office, complete with what they call a hobby wall and why it practically guarantees new business. As an aside, you all, just this few minutes of the conversation with Chris has literally changed how our team onboards clients. So make sure you get the notepad ready here. This is game-changing stuff. From there, we cover how to create a proprietary methodology that will differentiate you all from the rest of the pack and why talking about your how is so much more valuable than talking about your what. And we wrap with the actionable steps you can take to start cultivating your own campfire effect, including the three pillars Chris calls the spark, the fuel, and the oxygen to effectively sell without sounding salesy. So before we get to the conversation, not one, but two special gifts today. The first is from Chris himself, who made available to all of you Blueprint listeners his free download, The One Question That Will Change Your Business. Even better, he took the time to customize three separate examples specifically to financial services. This one pager can be implemented today to make an impact on your next prospect conversation. So make sure to grab your copy at the top of the show notes at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 41. This second give is a much, much bigger give. And unfortunately, it won't apply to all of you. We are running our very first live event of 2018. And prior to sitting down to record this, I just checked. We currently have three seats remaining for this event. But for those who qualify to attend, we will be picking up the tab to fly you to our headquarters in Topeka, Kansas. Yes, Topeka. So you know the training has to be good, right? Anyway, you will be joined by nine-time New York Times bestselling author, David Bach, automatic millionaire, smart couples, smart women, finish rich fame. He'll be teaching you how to create a process to scale your firm and clone your top clients. 
And he literally helped take Rick Edelman to 16 billion or so of assets under management when he was there. So he obviously knows a thing or two in this regard. Besides David, you'll be joined by Bo Eason, who will share the framework for how to craft your personal story to better connect with your ideal client. His training has benefited almost every single top client we serve over the last couple of years of bringing Bo in. So this is super impactful stuff here as well. And lastly, we're flying in not one, but two of our top offices who each gathered over 160 million of brand new assets organically in 2017. Yes, all through direct-to-consumer marketing. For them, this includes TV, radio, as well as live events. They will open up their entire playbook and share exactly how they did it, including their proprietary planning process complete for you to R&D, or as I like to call it, rip off and duplicate. If you'd like to see if you qualify for us to cover your flight and hotel, to attend the event and take two days to better your business, visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y, and take five minutes to fill out your application. The dates are February 21st through 23rd. And as I record this, like I said, three seats remain. So don't delay if you'd like to attend. As an aside, if February doesn't happen to work, please note we are currently working on one other date and note that on your application and we'll make sure to take that into consideration as well. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Chris Smith. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I'm super excited. I've got Chris Smith here with us today. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So as I was uh, preparing for this conversation, I had this thought. I'm like, we officially have the two most common names in the US together on one podcast here today. So like people can try to Google and find this conversation. They're not going to find it. It's just <laughs> lost in the depths with Chris Smith and Brad Johnson on the same thing here. Yeah. When I was, uh, you know, I actually get people now today, they'll be like, no, so like, what's your real name? And I'm like, no, it's really Chris Smith. Like that's a really, that's my real name. And, uh, you know, they laugh at my Gmail cause my Gmail is like Christopher Carter Smith cause it's the only, you know, I couldn't find Chris Smith. And, uh, like when I was a kid, I'd go to the, the blockbuster to rent videos. And uh-huh. if I ever forgot my card, they'd be like, oh, I'll just look you up in the system. I'd be like, you know, you're not going to find me in the system. And after searching like forever with all the Christmas, they're like, dude, just take the movie and bring it back tomorrow. Yeah. It's funny, Brett, like check into a hotel. They're like, oh, what's your loyalty? I'm like, it's Brad Johnson. There's about 7 million of us in there. So good, luck. <laughs> good luck. But uh, yeah. So as we kick this off, Chris, we were introduced by our mutual friend, Garrett Gunderson, connected us. He's obviously in the financial space. And what's really cool, obviously being a podcast for financial advisors, that's the same space you grew up in. And that's how the campfire effect was really created. So as we get into that, because there's going to be some people listening in that aren't familiar with it, I figured rather than have you go through the framework, just it'd be awesome to hear the story about Chris as a financial advisor and the challenges you faced really trying to differentiate yourself in your own marketplace and how the campfire effect really uh, created this whole movement. And, uh, it started with your firm and now it's gotten much bigger. So I'd love for you just to open up and share there. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'd be happy to. So the story of how I got to the Campfire Effect through financial services, I am a fifth generation Arizona native. So to give you context of that, what that means is my family was one of the first families in the state of Arizona. There was no one here. Like January 31st, 1879. So my family kind of founded, some of my ancestors founded the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And you know, I grew up in this ranching rodeo family. And what was always just kind of core to who I am. And I heard these stories growing up was 
I heard these stories of these amazing entrepreneurs that came here, you know, in the late 1800s, like with nothing and they created. So I always hear these stories of these really powerful creators. And so that entrepreneurial spirit, that like creator spirit has just, I guess, flown through the veins of our family for generations. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting is growing up in a, in a ranching rodeo family, I was raised around a lot of cowboy storytellers. And, uh, I was really fascinated with the idea of story and influence from a young, young age. In sixth grade, I was voted least likely to be found in my seat at the year in school assembly because I was always out telling stories. And in fourth grade, one of my mom's really good teacher friends told this story that um, she had been trying to share a topic with the class and the class wasn't getting it. And it had been like, you know, several minutes and finally out of frustration, I just like raised my hand and I was like, Mrs. Judd, can I just please try and tell, can I tell the class what you're trying to tell them? And she looked at me like, you know, you punk kid, like smart aleck, like fourth grade, sure. And I just turned around and told the class what she was trying to say. And all the class was like, oh, okay. So for the rest of the year, anytime Mrs. Judd was trying to articulate something in the class that she just, so I just, from a young age, I don't know what it was, Brad, but I could just, I could listen to what people were trying to say. And then I could just say it Mm -hmm. oftentimes more clearly and much shorter. So that was kind of always there for me. So I never even knew like that sales was sales. Like this distinction that people have around selling and it's hard. And like, I just didn't know anything but to go out and connect with people. And so when I, when I graduated, uh, college and uh, got home from uh, serving a mission for my church. I went in, into finance. I went to commercial real estate first. And what I found was it was really interesting because I was 24. I looked like I was 12. I had no credibility, not a whole lot of connections. And it's a pretty tough industry like financial services to kind of, you know, break into and have success with. Mm-hmm. And within a short amount of time, I was one of the top producing brokers in the office and I knew very little about the industry. And it blew these brokers away that had been there forever. Like, who's this punk kid that knows nothing about the industry? And like, how are you getting clients? And I just, the only thing I knew how to do was go and connect with people through the power of their story, then through my story. And then I would just really quickly and clearly articulate how our company could help them. So although there was people in the, in the office that knew way more about commercial real estate, that had way more of a background and experience, I could articulate it better and more powerfully. That little formula just worked for me. And probably the biggest realization that I've ever had, Brad, in the story is that people actually connect with us through the power of their story, not ours. So it doesn't mean that our stories aren't important. Obviously, it's everything that I stand for with the campfire effect, but our stories influence people. Their stories connect them to us. And so often, we're just not giving people an opportunity to tell us their story. You know, we're not really asking meaningful questions to really find out, hey, who are you outside of this transaction that we may do together? Mm-hmm. And, you're, and not asking it because you're trying to get business, right? Not asking it because you're trying to use it as a tactic to get them to connect with you. No, like, you really want to know, like you really care about who they are. Right. So I just followed that little formula. And then eventually I got to know more and more about commercial real estate. And you know, the thing I didn't like about commercial real estate was it was just really transactional. You close the deal. You're on to the next one. You know, it's, you might stay in touch with some clients, but so I had a buddy of mine who I was playing uh, back, you know, I have, I have a, an amazing wife and five kids now. So back in the good old days when I could be on a city league softball team and a city league basketball team at the same time, so many, many years ago, basically. Many, many years ago. Now, now, now my sports are lived through all of my kid, my five kids who are running around to practice and games. But I had a buddy of mine who I played city league softball and city league basketball with. And he's like, man, you'd be great in financial services. He's like, you know, the one thing that we are really, really good at retaining clients. We're really good at planning, but we are not good at going out and getting clients. Like it's really tough for us to create new business. And at first my thought was like, man, I do not want to talk to people about their money. Like I do not want to do financial services. And yet the more I spoke with him and the more I realized how much they really cared about their clients and the commitment they had to planning, and I saw their culture, I was like, man, this is something where I could really breathe some life in this company. So I joined, got my 65, got my life, 
And I love the idea that you could also, when, once you got a client, right, you could stay with them for life and maybe generations. Like I love that aspect of it and really being able to see that we can make a long-term difference. So I joined this firm and we, he, the, the owner of the firm and I created this agreement where I would go out and generate all the business. Then he would do the planning. And we, you know, again, a few months into the, a few months into being an advisor, I was one of the top producing advisors in the office. And the same thing in commercial real estate. All these advisors are like, dude, how are you getting business from estate attorneys, getting business from CPAs? Like those guys don't refer business, you know? And, and part of it too, Brad, is I've, I've always, I guess, just been like, just dumb enough and naive enough to not know any better, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know that you shouldn't have that kind of success early on. Or I didn't know that estate attorneys and CPAs were hard to get to refer you business. Like, so I just, but I just followed the same little formula I'd created in commercial real estate. So let's get into that, Chris. And and I know one of the things that was, I found intriguing as we kind of were initially introduced and chatting about what sort of conversation we might have on here, your business model is very similar to a lot of our top clients. So you're managing assets as a Series 65 advisor, right? Yep. And then also had an insurance arm to your firm as well. Right. Correct? Yeah. So what happened was as I was there, I'm just doing my thing, growing this business, growing a book of business. And the firm I was with at the time, we had our own RIA, really focused on assets under management and did a little bit of insurance planning. However, the owner of our firm had started collaborating in a really intentional way with another firm that was completely the opposite. Really heavy focus on insurance planning, a little bit of investment mm-hmm. planning. Well, they started referring business back and forth in a really kind of, I thought it was cool because they were both abundant, right? It was like, look, we're not competitors. You guys do one thing really well. We do one thing really well. And it was so working so well, they decided to merge their firms. So here I am building this book of business, bringing in relationships, building our brand. And all of a sudden this merge happens. And I'm thinking, you know, not really thinking actually much about it other than I actually think it's great. I'll have more, more of a story to tell, right? I'll have more to offer people. So, you know, I don't know if any of you that are listening have ever been on involved in a merge or an acquisition, but they moved both of us into a new office together. And there were some challenges, right? Like you had a 43-year-old insurance planning firm and a 25-year-old investment planning firm who have done things very differently for a very long period of time with very different types of people. And now we're all together in an office and it's like, hey, let's figure it out. That, that sounds simple enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I recognized early on, like, man, this is a massive opportunity. And there's some challenges that if we don't fix, could be like a bit of a train wreck coming down the track. And I think we could be way more clear and way more intentional about how we're bringing these two firms together and how we're going to tell the story of that. So I approached the owner, my good friend at this point, and I said, hey, I've never done this for a company, but I've always been really intentional about branding myself, telling my story, and really intentional about the client experience I provide people. I'd love to take a shot at helping us do that as a firm. And he was actually like relieved. He's like, oh my gosh, yeah, go for it. I'm you know, as you can imagine, especially in this industry with all the, you know, all the paperwork and the regular, he's, he had so much on his plate to get this merge going and profitable. And so, you know, they couldn't fire me. That was a good thing because I was doing it for free as a volunteer. You know, so I just dove in, Brad, and I made mistakes. I was naive. You know, I tried to shove it down people's throats, which I found isn't the best way to do it with people that have been in the industry for 15 or 20 years longer than you, you know, to go tell them what they should be doing. And so I just learned a lot and I read a lot of books. And ultimately what I realized is, We've got to create an environment and an atmosphere where it's not just me giving the ideas to them. We've got to facilitate an environment where it's like we create space for them to actually come up with some of these ideas. Like that there could be a better way to build our brand. There could be a better way to bring these firms together. So truly in a last pitch effort, like pure desperation, you know, and I was going home every night complaining to my life and she was telling me, you know, stop being a wimp and like do something about it. And uh, so I had this idea to start a mastermind in the firm. 
So, you know, I'm a, if you don't know what a mastermind is, it's this idea that, you know, we're going to come together around a topic and we're going to brainstorm or we're going to create ideas around, you know, usually something around personal development. So I went to them and I said, Hey, I think we should start a mastermind in the firm to bring the two sides together and I'll, you know, I'll pick a book. I'll send out the assigned reading schedule. People can read it and we'll come in, you know, and we'll set aside an hour each week. So we, at first they were like, you know, that sounds like a terrible idea. We don't have time for that. And then it got to be one of those things, Brad, where it was like, I just wouldn't stop talking about it. I was a squeaky wheel. And so finally it was one of those things like, okay, if we can get Chris to shut up about the mastermind, we'll do one. But like we're one book, one. So I, I intentionally chose a book that I thought would really serve us. I chose The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And it was really intentional. Like, you know, it, it, look, you know, in it, later down the road, I told all of them, I admitted like, guys, that the mastermind was totally just to manipulate you guys in my way of thinking. And the book was designed to manipulate you with the best of intentions, right? Because I thought it'd be good for us. But, you know, the first mastermind we do, Brad, like so awkward. People read, we come in, crickets. I think yep, I'm the yep. only one that spoke for an hour. And people are just looking at each other and I'm like, gosh, this is rough. Second week, Jeremy, the owner, he started sharing a bit. Third week, more people started sharing. And what it did is it like it created this space for people to have their own discovery, but like, huh, maybe we could be more intentional about a brand. Maybe we could be more intentional about the story and how these companies are coming together. So that really kicked things off. So to make a really long story really short, we just got really like clear on who we were serving, what we were saying, how we were saying it. We got really clear on how these two brands were going to come together, how we were going to tell the story of that. We got really clear on the client experience that we were going to deliver. We got really clear on how each of the individual advisors could tell their personal story and how it connected to the company story, kind of like I had been doing. And then we actually redesigned our office to incorporate that story. We gave a storytelling tour to every prospective client that came into the office. And I'm happy to go into more detail on any of those. But long story short, within two years, we were actually bringing in as many asset center management in a month as we had been doing in a year. So there's a lot we can unpack there, which I know we're going to. But let's start with where you started. You have two firms, very different backgrounds. To bring those together into one clear, concise message that a prospect can understand and figure out quickly how you serve them? Was that a simple bite-sized statement of here's who we are, here's what we do? What did that sound like on the front end to the prospect? And then maybe we can go through their journey as they started to engage with the firm. Yeah. Amazing question. And here's something that I now really debunk with. I tried to debunk with most of my clients. And so most of us get in such a rush to figure out the marketing, the sales, the branding, like how we're going to say it, that we skip this really, really crucial part which is, well, what are we saying in the first place? So the thing that I always tell people is what you say and how you say it are two fundamentally different things. But if you get really, really clear on what you're saying, then the how to say it becomes so much more effective. So then it's like, okay, well, but how do we know what to say? Well, to me, it really has always seemed really powerful that when what you say is driven by who you're serving, right? And so like clarity is the key to all of this, in my opinion, clarity and intentionality. So I, like, I believe, Brad, that the key to having unprecedented success in this industry as an advisor has everything to do with the clarity and intentionality around your brand and how you plan. Those two things. So we just got obsessive about our brand. And what we, we stepped back from everything. We started to question everything. We said, okay, blank slate. If we were a startup today, who would we serve and why would we serve them? And what was so interesting is we, like most of my clients now, we immediately went to demographics. And that's how I found that most advisors choose their clients. Demographics, right? Yeah. Age, race, ethnicity, income range, career. Investable assets. Yeah. And it's okay, it's a start, but to me, it's just like surface level. So we started digging way beyond the surface from demographics and we started looking into psychographics. So demographics is what somebody is, right? Age, race, ethnicity, income range, investable assets, career. 
Psychographics is who they are. What do they believe? What do they stand for? Like, what do they want in their life? And so we just said, you know what? We're not going to pick a target market anymore based on demographics. We're going to pick our target market based off of psychographics. Like, who do we want to serve? And the big shift for us, Brad, was when we stopped looking at our target market from the lens of what's the, what's the best opportunity. And we started looking at our target market from the lens of who's the most aligned with us and what we stand for and where can we make the biggest difference. So as you went down that path, Chris, how did your... Let's start with marketing. Obviously, marketing is how they get to your front door in the first place. So how did that shift affect your marketing? And then let's go into then that, that client life cycle once they came through the door. Yeah. Like, well, it's an amazing question because I believe that like, if you really want to create some stress and struggle and non-return on investment activities, go start with marketing first. But if you get really, really clear first, right? Like on what you stand for and who you're serving based on who aligns with you, the marketing becomes so clear. So for us, we had actually been looking at doctors and dentists, and those were a lot of people that we were going after. And we were, you know, we were trying to sponsor, you know, events where dentists would be, and we were trying to show up there. And there's nothing wrong with serving doctors or dentists, but when we got really authentic, when we got really clear on what do we stand for and what are we trying to say, it was like, man, look, I come from a ranching rodeo background, right? Like I wore cowboy boots and jeans to the office every day. And the owner of the firm, he came from a trucking family. Another guy in the firm came from a paper mill family. Another guy in the firm's dad did construction. We were all like, the types of things that we go do on the weekends and the types of people that we enjoy being with, like, they're like us. Like, we're a blue-collar firm. And all of a sudden, this shift came from like, well, those are the type of people that we want to work with. Now, you could be a doctor or dentist and still have that blue-collar mentality, right? So for us, it wasn't like, well, are you a doctor? Are you a dentist? It's like, no, do you meet this? Like, are you like us? Like, do you believe the same as we believe? Do you value what we value? Now, it just so happens, though, that we also found a demographic. So here's another interesting thing. When you get clear in your psychographic, you may find a demographic of people that by and large meet that, right? Well, it just so happened to, like, just one of uh, the advisors had a high-ranking DPS public safety officer as a client. And the more we looked at public safety, police, and fire, like, so much of, like, their makeup and who they are really aligned with us. And it's an industry that was overlooked by a lot of advisors because they look at what a police officer or firefighter makes and they're like, they don't have a whole lot of investable assets. Or, But the reality is most of them retire with really incredible retirement and, and with pensions, which means that most of them are able to live off their pension and aren't touching their investable assets. So, you know, there's money there to manage. And so we just knew that we can make a big difference. So here's where everything shifted in our marketing. I said, okay, we've got to figure out how we're going to break into public safety though. Because there's some advisors already in that market. And there's several different routes we could go. We could do the traditional marketing route where we start really doing some like direct marketing to those industries. We could go the kind of the political route and try to get on some boards, right? And get involved like on committees. I said, or we could go on the side door and no one will even know we're there until we've built our brand and it's like too late for them to like, like we're like dominoes overnight. And I said, public safety is always involved in community service and community involvement. So we need to go serve in the community for at least three to six months and not ask for business. And I'm, I don't know if you can imagine like how that was met by first at first by the advisors, but they're like, wait, what? Okay. So let me get this straight. Yeah. We're going to go like just serve in the community and not ask for business, not give out our business cards. Like there's no need for instant gratification in this business, Chris. (laughs) But I really believe you guys like, and we're not just going to go serve to get business though. Like I got to make that so clear. Because one of the things that we, when in the discovering of who we are and what we stood for, grad and are getting really clear, one of the things that I'm really a big believer in is that when we're helping someone develop their story, you got to dig back into your roots. You got to dig back into your origins of like who you are, where you come from, how that started. Because there's things in there that are important that most advisors have honestly kind of like disconnected from and forgot. 
Mm. When we duck back into the origins of both of our firms, there was all kinds of evidence and like stories of like community involvement, serving on boards and really like giving back to the community that quite honestly, our firm had gotten a little bit away from. So it kind of reignited and reconnected us back to our roots. And we're like, we don't know who we're going to go serve, but we know that we're going to do something in the community. We even started talking about starting our own foundation. So it's like this perfect alignment. But I had made really clear to the advisors, like, guys, you got to know that if you think that we're going to serve in the community just to get the business from these guys, then you're missing it. Yeah. I have to hop in there real quick, Chris, because this is something like at the core of Advisors Excel too. And it's cool from a marketing perspective, but I just did like 22 interviews for a couple of spots we're filling on my team in December. So it's very fresh in my mind. So inside of our company, every quarter, everyone in the company, which is 500 of us now, four hours of community service somewhere in Topeka. And it's been team building. But here's what I found in those interviews. Almost every single person from the outside of our company that interviewed, they said, one of the reasons I want to work at this company is I see the good that you all do in the community. And so, yes, it works great to acquire clients, but it's incredible the talent that it attracts into your firm as well. So I just, as an aside, as you're hitting this, I just, it's incredible because it blew my mind. I, I didn't even realize it until I went through all those interviews that I did last month. So I would assume you guys saw that as well. Did you see well, or to come to the firm from those activities? Oh my gosh. Like, again, we weren't doing it to get business. However, we knew that was a market we wanted to serve. So why not? We knew that was a market we wanted business in. So why not serve in that market? Like you can actually do both, right? You, you can go and serve in that market, not wanting to get business, but be really open to the idea that you're going to get business. So I, you know, on my business card, guess what my title was on my business card? Community outreach. And it wasn't, it wasn't a tactic. Like, no, like literally, like I told guys, like, look, I don't care if I make less, but for the next three months, I'm going and serving in the community. And that was a community outreach for Saros Financial. And we built the most amazing relationships. And we started in the South Mountain, South Phoenix precinct. We just served golf tournaments. We were there serving young junior police academies. We were giving the teachers to the kids and they're serving the inner city. Unfortunately, you know, when an infant drowns, the Phoenix fire goes and does drowning walks and creates awareness. We were there. We were supporting families at Thanksgiving. We were like, I had just come from a rodeo competition actually on a Saturday. And I had my cowboy hat on, my boots, and I'm out in South Phoenix delivering Thanksgiving meals on a Friday night with my pregnant wife in a police SUV with police officers, you know, we're just serving and we've been doing that. And it got to the point where I could literally walk into the South mountain precinct and almost like not even have like security, like, you know, I'd walk into like, Oh, Chris, Sarah's financial. And I'd be like, dude, we don't even know what you guys do, but you guys are awesome. You're always here. You're always showing up. You're always serving. So what was interesting, Brad, is we built so much brand equity and so much brand awareness. Like everyone knew who we were. Everyone knew what we stood for before we ever asked for business. And we didn't even ask for business. We took a lieutenant. Can I ask you there, Chris, how was that brand equity built? I completely get it. I've seen it with our company as well. And it's, it's a long game. It's not a short game. It's over time and it's compound effect and consistently showing up. But how did they know what you did? It just came up as you're serving side by side or yeah, did this is the great of, of conversation or strategic way that you were making sure that that came about? Well, it actually drove, it drove some of the advisors nuts on our team because we'd go in the office and we'd go down the South Mountain precinct or we'd be involved in community activity and people would be like, man, we don't even know what you guys do. Like we assume it's something in financial services, but we're really grateful for you. And I wouldn't like take the bait. I wouldn't be like, well, let me tell you what we do. And all the advisors are like, do you want I was like, cause one, eventually one of them's going to ask us. One of them's going to ask us to like, if they can become a client. So, and this, I mean, this is an unconventional way of doing it, right? This like requires some faith, but so we took a lieutenant who was very influential in the community to lunch one day to talk about a community project. And on the way back, he just looks over at me and Jeremy goes, are you guys set up on Schwab, the self-directed account, like on the self-directed platform to manage public safety money? And we both said, yeah. 
And he goes, he's an Irish police officer. He goes, so why the hell haven't you asked me to, for business? And we said, well, our first and foremost intention is to you know, serve in the community. And we figured like, if conversations like this come up, we'd welcome them. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, I haven't heard from my advisor more than a one, an email a year for the last three years. You guys are down here all the time. He goes, I'm going to become your first client and help you really break into public safety. And then he said, just don't F me up or I'll kill you guys. And then he laughed, you know, and that was literally like literally Brad, that was the first client. And then it went like wildfire overnight, like because we had done so much work to build our brand that the minute one guy said, Hey, I'm working with these guys now. People like they can work with us and the domino effect. And overnight, no one had heard of Seraph financial as far as our competition. And then overnight, we're just like sucking assets from people over to Seraph financial. And these, we had people calling us like, who are you guys? Like, okay. So let's go into. We can, you tease something and we've got to, we've got to talk about this or the people listening, the, the advisors listening aren't going to forgive me. Okay. So you said essentially once we got them to our office, it was pretty much they were becoming a client because you were so intentional and strategic about here's who we serve. But here's what I loved is you said you actually had a, an office tour strategically set up with here's the story we tell as you went around the office. Can you unpack that and kind of go through your framework there? Yeah. And, and the one thing that I think is really important for advisors to know, Brad, is that part of the reason we had so much success when people came to our office is because we knew that they would become clients if they came to the office. Like it was just this belief that we built in the firm. Like, so we operated that way. Like we had a way of being about us that just like only way that someone would never become a client if they made it into our office was if it just wasn't an alignment. And that would happen once in a while. It's like, Hey, we're just not a fit for you. or You're not a fit for us. So the analogy I use is like, so, it's like, so, so real quick there. That's not easy. I see it a lot. I see, I see our clients that as they scale and grow, as you know, as a financial advisor, it's pretty much on your shoulders when you start. And then as you start to have some success, now you've got to lead a team. So that's a culture thing. So how long did that take to happen and really create this belief that our place is the only place to be as far as Tempe, Arizona? Can you go through that? Because I think there's a lot of advisors that struggle creating that sort of a culture internally. Yeah, it all goes back to that very first piece. Like before we get so focused on the marketing and how we're going to do it, how we're going to say it and like all the activities. Again, it's this piece of, it's the clarity, right? What do we stand for? And not only do you know it as the founder, or maybe let's say you have a, you know, there's a few founders in your office as an advisor, but like, does your team really know it? Like I'm amazed at how many financial advisors offices I go into Brad and like the people working there, they like you working there. They can think it's a great place to work. And if you ask any one of them, they have no clue the history of the company, origin story how it started, why it started. They don't really know the two or three founders' backstories. They just know it's a great place to work. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can grow a business that way. But man, when people know, really know the origin story, when they really know your roots, like Brad, like you grew up on this you know, cattle farm in the Midwest and like these family value, like there's just something about knowing who we are as human beings and knowing the history of a company that we can connect to in a more meaningful way. So what we did was on two fronts. We made sure that they absolutely knew and understood the power of the Cerro story and everything that we stood for. In fact, we actually had them help create it, right? Like, but then we also helped them connect their own story to it. And we knew each other. Like there wasn't hardly anything that we didn't know about each other. And most important, so, so two things happen in most companies. The teams don't really know the company's story and then the teams don't really know each other. Even though they may have worked together five, 10, 15 years, they know like the surface level. Like I might know Brad. I might know how many kids he has. I might know the name of his wife. Like I'll know some of that, but I don't really know you. So in my experience, when they know the company story and then they know each other, it just permeates this connection in the office. And here's the telling sign for me. We've been at this, like really getting the team involved, you know, 
and about 45 days into this being really intentional, we couldn't do a mastermind where at the beginning, we didn't have to eventually cut people off. And what I mean by that is like, we'd start the mastermind to come talk about the book and people would want to go crazy on ideas about how to add more value to the client. You know, our front, you know, our client concierge, Amanda, you know, Jill, like everyone was like, dude, I think we could do this, add more value to the clients. I think we could do this to serve more in the community. And finally, we'd be like, guys, we got to table this and get to the math. That's when it's like coming alive. And we just empowered people. Like Amanda, she designed the whole upfront experience. She's the one that like said, you know what, instead of finding showing the financial news on the, on the TV when people walked in, I think we should create a PowerPoint loop of everyone in the firm and their families and just showing pictures of us doing service in the community and like have clients sit there watching that. She's the one that said, you know what? I really think I should get up from the desk and greet people at the door and meet them there and shake their hand. And I should have their name on the monitor displayed, like, welcome. To them. She did that. Like, she's like, I own the upfront. And Amanda really like saw herself as like, I'm the most important person in this firm because I'm the first person to greet them. And I'm the last person they see when they leave. And it wasn't like, she's like, it was like a mind game to her. Like, I'll tell myself, no, she really saw herself as the most important person in the firm. But so did the advisors. And so did the service team. So. There, there's a lot of power there in something you did that was very simple. You brought your team together and you asked versus told, right? Like, like you pulled that stuff out of them and they felt that it was a safe environment where they could go all out. And it sounds like that took a little time to get rolling. But once you did, it was, sounds like, uh, had a tough time turning it off when you wanted to. Yeah. And what's interesting about this, Brad, is I always, I always found myself asking this question, like, why? Like, why don't we spend more time on the things that, we, like, with, like, you know, you ask most advisors, hey, do you think getting really, really clear on what you stand for and who your target market is and being really intentional about it, you think that's important? Almost every single one of them is going to say yes, me included, right? But then like, why don't we spend more time there? And what I found is because if I'm being completely honest, that exercise of clarity that we take people through to really be clear and intentional and accountable, it isn't fun. Like it's, it's way more fun to go out and talk about like marketing and branding and how we're going to grow and be creative. And like, you know, that's, that's, that's fun. Now this might be more meaningful. But I think there's a reason why a lot of us avoid that conversation because there's discipline, there's accountability there. And to be honest, dude, there was times where we would like lock ourselves in the conference room and be like, we are not leaving until we figure out who our target market is and what we stand for. And there was times where I was like, dude, I'm either going to punch Jeremy in the face or Jeremy's going to punch me in the face. Like there was some like, you know what I mean? But we had to do that. And like good intellectual debates going on. Yeah. But once we got that clarity, it's like everything became clear, how we're going to market, how we're going to sell, how we're going to grow. Like you couldn't stop. Okay, so let's let's circle back, back around. Tour. I want to hear Amanda's tour. So if if you were walking me through, and so let's just pretend like Brad is the prospect, and let's say I was I was serving beside you in the community. So I kind of have an idea of of what was going on and what your firm's all about. But I come in first time into the office. Like if you start there and walk me through that journey and walk the listeners and viewers through that journey, what did that look like? Yeah. So something that's really really important that's key is that we would track five areas of someone's life in our CRM. We hijacked a little thing. And it was like personal, hobbies, interests, family, spiritual. can't remember all of them now. And the goal was that before you ever came to the office, Brad, we wanted as many of those things filled in before you ever stepped foot in the office. So it put the onus on people like me out there. Mm-hmm. One, I had to actually get to know those things about you. Again, that whole idea of like, I really want to know you just as a human being. Two, that would already be on the CRM before you ever walked in the office. And it would be really intentionally communicated to Amanda in the morning meetings. Hey, Brad's coming in today. Here's a little bit of what I know about Brad or check his, check his CRM. So you'd walk in, right? So you open the door. And the very first thing you would see is, welcome to the firm, Mr. Johnson. Or 
if I felt like you wouldn't appreciate Mr. Remind me, welcome to the firm, Brad. Amanda would come around from her desk. She'd meet you say, hey, I'm Amanda. I'm the client concierge and the head of the relationship team. It's so glad, you know, it's a pleasure to have you at the firm today. First ask if you, if, you know, she'd get you some water, some coffee or anything. And then she would say, no, that, you know, whatever you did. And she'd say, hey, have a seat. And then Chris will come and get you. And then while you're sitting there, she'd be like, so I heard that you grew up on a cattle farm in the Midwest. What was that like? And you'd be like, hard. <laughs> or, but you'd be like, how does she know this? Right? Like she would be actually, or like, you know, like we had a, a fire captain that we've been wanting to get into the firm for a year and a half. And we finally got him into the firm and he sits down and the very first thing Amanda says, is like, do you have two boys, right? And their names are, and Amanda, and they're about, and they're in the football, right? And he was like, it just, the intentionality of that and just showing like, we really care about you, like this person. Yeah, you're not a number here. Yeah. So then I would come out and I would get you and I'd say, Hey Brad, before we start the meeting today, and then I introduce you to Jeremy and Jill. Now, here's another thing. Even though I wasn't going to be your advisor, right? I was the one on the relationship. I had told you at this point so much about Jeremy and Jill that you like felt like you knew them. You were in love with them before you ever stepped into the office, which again is another thing that I don't see a whole lot of advisors do is speak really powerfully about each other. Like we call it tagging, talk about the good. Like, so if I'm going to introduce them to Amanda, I'm going to tag Amanda in a really meaningful, powerful way, which means I've also got to know Amanda, right? Like I've got to know a little bit of her story. I want to know her like, you know, you're going to love Jeremy and Jill and here's why. So you were already looking forward to meeting Jeremy and Jill. In fact, a lot of our clients would come in when I would introduce them to Jeremy and Jill and hand them off in the meeting. You would say like, man, I already feel like I know you guys. Like Chris won't, won't shut up about you guys and how incredible you are. So I would come out as head of relationship team. And I would say, you know, do you mind before we meet with Jeremy and Jill if I give you a quick tour of the office? And I would say, you say, sure. I say, so if you, as you can probably notice, you see all these pictures in our, you know, room here. They're all revolved around farming and harvesting and planting and growing, which is intentional because the name of our firm is Theros is Latin for grow and plant because it's our intention here that with all of our clients, we want to plant and nourish and cultivate lifelong relationships with our clients. So like this is like the process we, we look at is like that we want to work with people forever and we want to make a difference. So that's why we have all this artwork and you'll notice that all the plants in here are real live plants. So then we would go through the, the glass doors and we would start the official tour and we had the timeline history wall. And on the timeline history wall, we had the, the two or, or, um, origin founding firms that came together. And we had the picture of their first office. We had the picture of the first founders back in the 1940s. We told the story of that company and their history as an insurance planning firm and what they stood for in the community and the boards they set on, the good they did. Then we told the story of Alliance Financial Group and the same thing. And then we talked about why the two of them came together. And the reason that the two of them came together is that we believe that one of the biggest challenges in financial services for a client is that they end up becoming the involuntary quarterback of their financial plan and their structure and their team. They're the ones that are responsible to go talk to the CPAs and they're the ones that are responsible to go talk to their insurance guy and they're the ones responsible to talk to the advisor and they're the ones responsible to, and then they're the ones quarterbacking all of it and probably the least qualified of anyone and they don't want to do it. We just like, there's a better way to plan. Like, why don't we bring financial service, financial planning and insurance planning under one roof and give away a holistic approach to helping people. And then, so we'd say, so, so these two firms came together to create Saros Financial. And then there was the picture of Saros Financial. And then we say, so one of the things that we really believe strongly at Saros Financial is it's not what we do that makes us unique, it's how we do it. Like the fact that we're financial advisors doesn't make us unique. Anyone can be a financial advisor. It's how we do it through our proprietary planning methodology called Saros 360. So we created and branded our own proprietary planning methodology. We called it a mentoring approach to retirement planning. And it was a seven-step process. And we actually had them on the wall, like in this glass, kind of like my glass whiteboard behind me. 
we had a graphic design for Sarah 360. And the seven steps were on there. And we say, so these are the seven steps that we believe are really important to your ability to successfully retire. And if you notice, there's only two of the steps on there that we actually get paid to talk to you about, investments and insurance. So one of the other things that we feel like is a real struggle in the financial services industry is that most advisors will only talk to you about what they get paid to talk to you about. And in fact, we actually don't even like to refer to ourselves as advisors. We like to really think of ourselves more as like your retirement coach, like really coaching you through this aspect. And But what's, what's, in, what's so dangerous about only talking to you about what we get paid to talk to you about is that there's five other key factors here that significantly impact your ability to retire. And if we don't incorporate it into the overall plan, right? So we're going to talk to you about things and we actually want to be your quarterback. We want to know who your CPA is. We want to know who your state attorney is. We want to reach out to them on your behalf and do planning and coordination and make sure that something that we're doing on the investment side isn't creating, you know, a liability on the tax side. Like, and Brad, people just never heard advisors talk this way to them. They'd never heard of something like this. And then after that, we would take them and say, you know, one of the things we really stand for here is a lot of community involvement. And if they were police officers or firefighters, we had several awards and plaques given to us by police, Phoenix police. Phoenix Fire, we had pictures of me and the chief of police, the chief of fire. Like it was just not a bad thing for credibility and social proof if you got a police officer, firefighter, right? And even if they weren't police or fire, they still, you know, we would show them about our community involvement. And then it was just known on the tour, like it was, so we viewed the tours like, where we viewed people coming to the office like a baseball game that was already won. We just had to walk through the nine innings. Mm-hmm. But like we really, like, that's how confident we were. Like this is one. So one of the things we did with all the team members is if you are in your office and the doors open, or if you're up and about and we're on a tour, you like get up out of your office and you come out and introduce yourself and like tell them who you are and what your role is and a little about you. And people would always comment on it. Man, your staff is so friendly. Like, they're so incredible. Like everyone's like telling me who they are and shaking their hand. And, and if I would get to the service team, I wouldn't just be like, oh, hey, here's our service team. It'd be like, I'd tag them really powerfully. Like I wanted to create a powerful experience of every single person in our firm and I would tell them a little bit of their story. So that was happening throughout the whole tour. And then we would get to the hobby wall. And the hobby wall had a picture of every single one of us in the firm doing our hobby. I was rodeoing. Jeremy was hunting. Jill was playing soccer. Sherrod was working on his car. And the intention with that is to show people, like, look, we're not just, like, stuffy advisors that sit behind a desk in a suit and tie and push numbers around. Like, we're real people just like you. And we would leave a picture frame blank. So if you were there, Brad... And we'd be showing this to say, okay, Brad, so if you were on a hobby wall, what would your picture be? Hmm. So what's your hobby? What, what, what do you think you would tell us, Brad? Uh, well, growing up, it would have been sports, football in college. Today, gosh, my hobby is three children. So I'm trying to think what that is now. Actually, you know, it's funny. My wife gives me a hard time about this because I used to really enjoy playing video games. Then you have kids and you don't have time to anymore. But now I've got my seven-year-old. He's kind of into gaming. So now that's father-son time. We'll game together. So that'd probably be what would go in there. That's awesome. What kind of like Xbox, PlayStation, PlayStation. Wii U? Okay. PlayStation. Awesome. So we would actually spend some time just like you and I did there at the Hobby Wall and connect now. Because we'd been spending all the time about us. Mm-hmm. And that was like a real point of like, you know, because some people are like, man, I, oh, I'd totally be cycling. Oh, what do you love about cycling? Oh, my grandfather got me to cycling or... You know, like, what do you love about playing games with, you know, video games with your son? And so, and then I might ask, like, what's your son's name? What is Ron. Yep. Ron. So, you know, eventually the tour went in, and now the meeting would be ready to start. People were clients already. Yeah. How long was that tour? 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And just so I clearly understand, permanently there's an empty frame on the hobby wall. Did it have anything in it where, like, a question? 
or was it just a blank frame? No, it's blank frame. And I think eventually we put a quote in there. But so now we go into the meeting. Here's what's so powerful about this. Jeremy and Jill felt zero pressure to say anything about the firm. Like most advisors are like, feel this pressure, right? A little bit of anxiousness. Like I got to tell them about our firm and I got to figure out. No, we'd already done all that on the tour. So it actually allowed our advisors to just be with them and be really present because Jeremy and Jill are like, dude, Chris has already done an amazing job. The tour has already done the job of telling the story of the firm. Mm-hmm. We're just going to answer questions if they have any, but really this now, this whole meeting is about them, all about them, nothing about us. You're going to make a lot of offices that we work with create a brand new role in their firm. They're just going to call it the Chris role. <laughs> so what? Okay. So, so I'm curious because this is interesting. You were really paid like an advisor. So were you, I, I would assume, I guess I don't want to assume here. Were you paid like an advisor and that was just your role in the seven step process as I'm kind of the relationship guy and then the tour guy when they come in? And then did you maintain those relationships on the back end as well? Or can you walk yeah. the model? Yeah, so, so we had a relationship where I got, I, I, I was incentivized for asset center management, any products we sold, but my role was really on the front end, business development, that would be like the tactical word you would use, which I don't like, but that's what I was, you know, I, I was bringing relationships in and then I would sit with them in that first meeting. I was always in the first meeting and I, it wasn't like I knew nothing about financial services. Like I, I knew enough to really like speak intelligently about it and, and inspire confidence. And I'd be with them in that first meeting. And then after that, like I was not involved on the planning, but I stayed very involved on in the relationship, mm-hmm. continuing to build relationships, continuing. So I would stay involved on in the relationship side. Now, what's interesting is when you left that first meeting, Brad, whether you became a client or not, which by the way, we, we wouldn't even let you take, become a client on the first meeting. Like there's no signing paperwork. Like even if you want to, it's like, no, go think about this. Like, and um, you would get a handwritten thank you card from us. That wasn't just like, Hey Brad, thank you for coming to the office today. It was a pleasure meeting you, which would be more than a lot of advisors do. Right. It'd be impressive. Right. It was like, Brad, thank you so much for coming to the office. And thank you for telling us a little about you and your family. By the way, and you'll have to remind me because it, it's been a while since I've been on this side. What's the limit of like a gift, the dollar amount that you can provide? Uh, like a client? a hundred in most states. Yeah. So we would say like, hey, thank you so much for coming to the office. Here's a $50 gift card to Best Buy to buy a new PlayStation game for you and Braun. Whether you became a client or not. Like, much, yeah. And a homemade loaf of a Jewish coffee cake that Amanda would made and a packet of seeds. It just signifies like we'd say like if, if we are to work together, like here's to like planting, you know, the seeds of what'll be like an amazing relationship. And people would like people would refer us. Like we'd have clients come in to work with us or come in to like wanna you know just come meet with us. They're like, yeah, I just saw the thank you card you wrote. This guy in like the gift box you sent him afterwards. So anyways, that that was that that was kind of like that final piece. But then I would stay involved. Now I'm not saying that you couldn't do both, right? Like I know advisors that do like pretty much my role and they're good planners, but, but you have to ask yourself, like, can we be really intentional on like a role like Chris's and on the planning? You can, it just, you know, just, it, it requires some work, but you know, I, I have to give credit though massively to Jeremy, my, you know, at the firm, because as intentional and as clear as I was on the brand and the story in the front end, he was as equally as intentional and clear on how we plan. Like his planning methodology of how he really took care of clients and was way more than just an advisor that just talked to them about what he got paid to talk to them about. So that's why I said in the beginning, like I believe, like my big idea in this, in this industry is I believe that, that the key to having unprecedented success as an advisor lies in the intentionality and the clarity of your brand and how you plan. And if you do both really well, you, you're just going to dominate your industry. Well, uh, the good news, Chris, is your 
you're basically preaching what I've been preaching for about the last two years. It's crazy to me that it's crazy and it's an amazing opportunity in our industry. How many advisors still to this day, they don't have that proprietary process. And they're great planners. Don't get me wrong. They're doing a great process. They just haven't strategically and intentionally named it and trademarked it and set themselves apart in their own marketplace. And the ones that have and do thrive. So, so where this hit me, this, so this became the fourth step of my, the fourth force of my five force of storytelling was this, your, I call it branded proprietary process. And you don't have to call yours that, but like, that's just the idea of it. So I'm sitting there one day, Brad, and we're I'm learning more and more about the industry. We're getting really clear on what we stand for. We're getting really clear on our brand. And all of a sudden I'm just like, dude, like, I, you know, it was a really an acknowledgement to Jeremy and Jill. And I was like, you guys are amazing. They're like, oh, well, thanks. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like how much you care about our clients? Like the fact that you meet with them on a quarterly basis when most advisors are like, we'll offer a one phone call review a year. Or like, you know, I just started seeing enough of the industry was out there and what they were doing. I was like, you guys are so incredible. And you know what's so unfortunate? No one knows how incredible you are because of how you talk about it. You guys are so much more amazing and your planning methodology is so much more amazing than how you actually share it with the world because you don't have it in the methodology. And so that's what I find like, I'm, I'm amazed too, like you said, Brad, of how many people that in the industry still don't plan really intentionally and they really drop the ball on the service side. I'm also amazed though on how many advisors do an amazing job of the planning and the service, but it's almost like they get no credit for it because you could put them next to an advisor who really doesn't care about people that much and doesn't plan that well. And the industry and most of the public sees them the same because they're saying the same things. It's just like the most missed. It's like the most unfortunate. I go, okay, that's going to change. We are going to start talking about what we do in a way that's as powerful as what we actually do. Like imagine that. Imagine if we actually started talking about what we did as powerful as we actually did it. And that's Sarah 360, this proprietary mentoring approach that it was born out of that. And what we found too is Jeremy and Jill in going through that process actually started identifying ways that they could even plan better because they were already being intentional, but it's kind of hard to improve upon something you can't see. But once they could see the methodology and it was outlined, like, oh, we can make this better. We can improve, improve this. Yeah. It's so funny because, and I think every industry does this. You live it, you breathe it all day long. So you just assume everybody else knows it to the level that you do. Well, they don't. The, the analogy I make on the process, imagine if a, the typical financial advisor walks onto Shark Tank, they're just going to get destroyed by Mr. Wonderful, right? Because they're going to have like five different things they do. They're trying to explain it. None of it's actually cohesive and works together. Where what you just said, we have the Saros 360 process. You could go pitch that on Shark Tank and they would invest in you. And it's clear, it's concise, they understand it, they get it. And that, I'll get off my soapbox, I'll let you keep going, but... Well, the, the, uh, I want to finish on this point with this because I think it's, it's so important. If there's one thing that I could preach from the mountaintops, like if, if, you get, if someone said, Chris, you can only say this message for the rest of your life, like let's say in financial services, as it relates to like just the marketing of like and selling what you do, right? So just that, not that what you stand for and the clarity or how to say it, but like just that little piece of like, how do you differentiate yourself? So yeah, so if I could preach one thing for the rest of my life on the mountaintops around differentiation, it's like, it is not what you do that makes you unique. It's how you do it. You can't differentiate the what you do because every single person in your industry could argue that they do that same thing. And yet it's the very thing that we all emphasize the most in our marketing, in our copy. Look at most people's websites. 99% of it is about what they do. I can just go swap out my company name for your company name and it would still work. And yet that's not what makes you unique. What makes you unique is how you do it because no one else in the world will ever do it how you do it because no one's you. No one's had your background, your experiences, like what you've been through, like no one has your methodology. So it's like, 
why don't we start emphasizing the thing that actually makes us unique? Because now when we had Theros 360, guess how many other firms in the world had that? Zero. We could stand on it like a real platform of differentiation and I could tell people like, you want to know what makes us unique? Not that we're advisors. It's who we are, our belief system, and it's this methodology we've created that nobody else has. And the other thing that's interesting about that, Brad, is so there's that alone, which is a pretty compelling argument, right? But then there's this idea of like, and what do our clients really want to know? Do our clients really want to know what we do? No, they want to know how we're going to help them. And that's answered by the methodology, by the process. Mm-hmm. But like the very thing that makes us the most unique and the very thing that they want to know the most, most of us don't talk about. So anyways, yeah, you better stop me because I could keep going on. There's a lot. Of, we'll just, we'll sum it up. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Right? <laughs> okay. So let's bring this back in. And so I think that gives us obviously a really good overview of what the campfire effect is. But let's go, because I think most, there's three pillars of the campfire effect. And what our challenge here today, Chris, is we're trying to fit what's normally a two and a half day workshop, live workshop that you do into a 60 minute conversation. So I know we're not going to get through it all. So maybe we just handpick some things here that you think are some actionable things that can really drive value here the last half hour or so we have together. So what I love is your three pillars. So the campfire effect, obviously to have a fire, you've got to have a spark, you've got to have fuel, you've got to have oxygen. So I love that. Which of those three should we dive into? Let's dive heavy in the spark and then we'll touch on the fuel and the oxygen. Okay. So on the spark, you just take it where you want to go. You're going to be able to obviously explain it better than me. So it's interesting, coming off the heels of our soapbox that Brad and I were just on about this process, here's my proprietary methodology. Guess how many people in the world have the campfire effect? Me. I've trademarked it. I have the IP on it. So it's like, I can say like, yeah, there's lots of people in the industry that do what I do, but I have this proprietary methodology and there's three pillars, the spark, the fuel, and the oxygen. And what I've found, Brad, is that when I, I don't ever sell, but when I just have help people understand who I am and how I help them through the methodology, their confidence is through the roof. And then like, I've never had more sales and it's never been easier. So the spark... Real quick, Chris, because I, I literally... You're bringing flashbacks. I just had a conversation with one of my guys on the West Coast. He's such a good dude, but he struggles a little bit. And, and it's, it has recently, I should say, because it's this condensing his story into something where, where people get... And it was funny. We were talking about his live presentation he, he was doing two nights ago. He's like, I just... I don't want to come across salesy. And I said, here's all you got to do. Don't sell. Tell them how you can help them. Yep. That's, that's, it's that easy. And he, and he can. I mean, he's got a great process. And so it's so funny that you just said that because you don't have to sell when you're like, here's my process. And if when you hear this, you think you need it, I'm, I can help you. I think that financial advisors listening in, if it's just what Chris said right there, you're not selling. It's here's how I can serve you and help you and just transition that, just erase selling out of your brain. It's going to help you so much. And what I would supplement to that, Brad, is that when you start talking a lot about what you do, it starts sounding salesy. But if you can stay focused on the how you help people and how you do it through methodology and like who you are and why you do it, it doesn't sound salesy. It's like, no, like here's who I am. Here's why I do this. Here's the path and the journey that I got that got me here. Now here's how I help people. And I'm thinking of so many things because I just Garrett Gunderson just went through the campfire effect and his story and his his proprietary process, which is, you know, the fast track to financial and economic independence and the seven stages. And, you know, we're just working on the book around that. So anyways, but I won't go there because that'll take us down a rabbit hole. But so the spark, I want to start there, the, the first pillar of our methodology. The very first thing I, I tell people, Brad, is that your story has only two jobs, lots of capabilities, lots of functionality, but two primary jobs. The first job your story has is to make sense. The second job your story has is exactly what we've been talking about. And that is to inspire a belief in them that you can help them. And if your story does that, like if you tell your story in a clear, concise way, 
And at the end, someone goes like, wow, that makes sense. And I really see how this can help me. You don't have to do anything else. And the thing I submit, my argument is that most of us are saying way more than we need to. And part of the reason why our stories don't make sense to people and they don't get how we can help them or they don't believe that we can help them is because we're saying way too much and it's all around what we do. And so if someone, so the majority of my conversations now at the end, I'll, you know, first of all, my conversations look like this. They talk about 75, 80% of the time. I can tell my entire story, who I am, why I do this and how I do it in about five to eight minutes. And when I'm done, the majority of the time they go, oh, that makes sense. And I believe those are some of the most powerful words in a conversation because it's not just, oh, intellectually it makes sense. No, if someone tells you like, oh, that makes sense. They're like, man, maybe there's something here for me. Maybe I trust this. Like maybe this can make a difference. And if it makes sense, there's also some confidence there. Okay? So how do we get your story to make sense? And how do we have it be where people see that you can help them? The other thing that I tell people, it's a really important distinction. And I said this at the beginning, there's a fundamental difference between what you say and how you say it. And we often kind of blur the two. And in fact, it's the constant focus of how to say it. Like you've probably seen people like this, or maybe you've experienced you personally, we're constantly tweaking like how to position it, how to message it, how to market it. Like we're always, if you really think about it, we're always tweaking how we say it on different platforms, even like this advisor in presentations, right? I'm always thinking about how to give my presentation better. So I'm always in the how, but I, I believe that one of the things that makes the how we say it so confusing is that we don't spend enough time being clear on what we're saying in the first place. Like this is the thing that drives that, right? So what are we saying and how do we say it? So if you're an advisor right now and you're taking notes and you're listening to this, if you want on the left-hand side of your page, right, what you say, and on the right side of your page, write how you say it. And then on the left-hand side of your page, above the what you say, I want you to write accountability. And on the right side, how to say it, structure. And I believe you have to have those two things to tell your story in a really powerful way. You've got to be accountable to what it is you're trying to say so that you don't go all over the place. And you actually have a structure of how to say it. Can you give us like a little soundbite of good example, what that might sound like for a financial advisor? Yeah. So we worked with Garrett Gunnarsson recently, right? Talking about him, so he'd be relevant. So, you know, Garrett, like a lot of entrepreneurs and like a lot of advisors, there's a lot of things he wants to go do, right? Lots of opportunities. And most of us live in opportunity overwhelm if we're being honest with ourselves as, as advisors and op- entrepreneurs. And the key isn't which is the best opportunity, in my opinion. The key is which opportunity is the most aligned, right? But I want to help my clients pick opportunities based off of what they're saying, not based off of which is the best opportunity. So we take them through an exercise called the big idea of impact. So this is how we get you really, really clear on what to say so that we can then start helping you focus on how to say it. So the big idea of impact is, let's say, let's take this advisor you were just telling me about, right? But I don't want to sound salesy. My, where I would start with him is I would say, okay, let's say I'm going to put you on a stage tomorrow and 50 of your target market clients are in the audience. Like maybe the best stage you've ever been on, dream stage. Like you would have to try and mess it up, right? Like if you just got up there and like didn't mess it up, they're all going to work with you. Like that type of stage. And you got 60 minutes to tell your story and give your presentation. But at the end, they can only remember one idea from the entire presentation. And you get to decide ahead of time what it is. So if they can only remember one idea, like it better be like, it better be something that like challenges the way they currently think. Like it's a disruption, the conventional thinking, like that has them laying awake in bed at night and be like, can't stop thinking about Brad said, like maybe buying and holding is the stupidest thing ever. Or, you know, something like, right? Like it really challenged them or it inspires them to a possibility. And I encourage my clients to start it with an I believe. So when we first start this exercise, they might write like 10 I believes up on the whiteboard. But if we can get down to a single sentence, like in, in that single sentence, it literally contains everything that you stand for. Like it's your entire story in one sentence. That becomes the thing that we're accountable to. We're accountable to that statement. Everything that we say and how to say it, 
we always come back and like kind of like pressure test it against that. So Garrett's, when we did all this, we started out here, kept coming down, and Garrett's is like, look, at the end of the day, I believe that you get one chance to create a life you love and leave a legacy that will last. Now, to those listening, they might just like, oh, that sounds cool. But if you know Garrett's story, like everything he stands for from his childhood, his story, his history, his journey, everything, every product, like all of it supports and aligns with that. Everything falls under that. So I'm like, Garrett, is that what you're really trying to say to the world? He's like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So the question that we often ask in this, like, what are you trying to say? Or what should you say? My clients will literally probably hear me 50 to 100 times in a, in a, in a private one day or two and a half day workshop. You'll say something like, okay, Brad, what are you really trying to say? And then you'll say, okay, but what are you really trying to say? And what I find is most of us just haven't, most of us have dug enough to go do some marketing and some growth, mm-hmm. but there's so much more depth to get to there. Well, that's, it, real, that's not an easy process. You're, you're whittling away slowly and slowly and slowly until you get to that one sentence. That's what's the quote I'm missing about how it's hard to say something in a page and harder in a paragraph and harder in a sentence. I mean, basically right. Mark Twain is like, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. Right. Cause length is easy. Yeah. Length is, I always say this length is lazy. Like most people are like, man, I could tell my story really, really powerfully if you gave me like an hour. I'm like, well, yeah, most of us could, right? Like that's why intentionally in my two and a half day intensives, when we give, cause we give each of our clients in the, in the room an opportunity to tell their story, we get five minutes, both days. And that's intentional. But again, that's why we avoid exercises like that, Brad, because it, it's tough. Like clarity's hard work. Like it's, it's, it's grinding, right? But when you get to it, I'm like, Garrett, is that what you're trying to say? Like, dude, that is what I'm trying to say. That is what I want to shout from the mountaintops in the world. Well, just in the, now in the work that we've done together since then around his team, that one, whole, that one sentence is the thing that we use to align his whole team to the big idea and their story. It's the sentence that's driving his book. It's the sentence that drove the video. It's like, Every, you know what I mean? It's just like so much clarity. So when we can get you clear on what you're really trying to say down to that sentence, then it's like, okay, now it gets exciting, right? Now that we know what we're saying, now let's go figure out how to say it. And let's make sure that it's aligned everywhere. So that's the what you say. But, mm-hmm. so, but there's accountability there. Like you got to be accountable to that. Like you got to be willing to come back and anytime you're about to launch a new piece of coffee or a new piece of marketing, you're about to launch a new product, you got to have the discipline to come back and look at your big idea and be like, man, Am I forcing something here? Am I trying to just, because we're the masters of justification, right? Am I, or does this really align? And I'm not saying your big idea can evolve over time. I think it would, right? Now, if you've noticed and you go back and listen to this, I've stated my big idea for this particular interview about four times, and that's intentional. I believe that if you want to have unprecedented success as an advisor, it's directly tied to the intentionality and clarity of your brand and how you plan. And everything, I haven't said one thing in this interview that has been wasted that doesn't align with that. Why would I talk about stuff that doesn't support my big idea? As tempting as it is, and as much as we want to like ad lib and get all over the place, right? So this big idea of impact, not only do we use it as the foundation to start with your overall brand and your story, but every single time I'm going to get on stage, every single time I'm going to give a, a webinar or interview a podcast, I ask like, what's the big idea? What am I really trying to say on this podcast? And do you want to talk about you stepping off the stage and people being like, wow, that was, and I know exactly what he talked about. But anyways. So the, yeah, Chris, I, this is, like I said, Two and a half days, we're trying to fit in 60 minutes. So this is fun stuff. So in our five minutes before we wrap up with some fun questions here that hopefully make you think a little, how much more of the three pillars do you want to unpack here? Do you just want to hit them yeah. high level? And yeah, I'll just hit them high level. So you once can we leave have, them wanting more, I guess, if yeah. you want. So once we have you clear on your big idea of impact, then we take you through our structure called the five forces of the story of how to say it. Because mm-hmm. like, we have the accountability 
of what we're trying to say, but we still need the structure of how to say it, right? So the reason we call it the spark is that I've found, and this is a, like a takeaway that you can do right now as advisors, is like, man, do, are we really, really clear on what we're trying to say? And then are we clear on how to say it? And is our team clear on how to say it? And the reason I call it the spark is because what I found, Brad, is that when you get clear on that, that clarity sparks all of this alignment for growth and ideas, but not just growth and ideas for the sake of opportunities, no growth and ideas that are aligned, right? That are really powerful to have some real legs under it. So, so the spark is where I've just challenged. If I was you, I would be challenging myself. Like, and are we, are we really clear on what we're saying? Like, do we really know what we're trying to say before we even start thinking about how to say it? Then the fuel again, like, so the spark is typically like, the founder or the founder and maybe a couple of key team members. But I believe that your team, and you guys have certainly experienced this as advisors excel, your team is the field of your fire. Like if your team isn't connected and aligned to what it is you stand for and your story and your mission, and most importantly, my opinion, Brad, if your team doesn't understand how their personal story connects to the company story, that little spark that we got going with you and your, you know, the founders is going to flicker out. Like you can't sustain it, but you also can't stop it once your team catches fire. Like a team that's caught fire that really understands the power of the company's story and then their connection to it. It's almost like, like we experienced in Sarah. It's like, I would say that it could even survive bad leadership for a long time. It might eventually go out, but like, so the team, that's where I would really, if I'm you, I'd question like, do I really know my team? And I mean like more than surface level, like enough to put on the Christmas card, like the name of their family. Like, do I really know my team? What's a quick exercise out there that financial advisor offices could do to get to know their team better? Tell them your story first. Like if you really want, if you really want people on your team, open up and really share who they are and like where they've come from and the struggles they've gone through in their life and what's got them here. Make sure they know that about you first. Like be a demonstration of that because I would be, I would be, I'd be willing to bet that most of you listening to this, like your team doesn't really know you mm-hmm. much more than you know them. And then there's the power in them knowing each other. So that's, so the team is like, Hey, you're aligned as the founder and clear on your story. Now your team is connected and aligned. Then the oxygen. If you know anything about a fire, in order for it to become a raging, spreading wildfire, it's got to have oxygen, wind. So this is where we breathe life into your brand and your story by saying, is everything that we put out into the world in our sales, our marketing, our branding, the design of our office, the artwork on the walls, our hiring process. Like, I mean, we get pretty obsessive about it, right? Because it's like, look, if there's anything that our story and brand touches out externally, it has to be aligned. And we've got to make sure that our website, our marketing, our sales, our branding, our speaking from stage, our design of our office, like it should all be telling our very best story. And I generate almost all of my business from speaking. And that's something I have a real passion for helping advisors with is to, you know, not, not necessarily how to go out. You know, I've got a really great friend that'll teach you how to go out and find the stages and win the stages. But mine's like, no, you get that opportunity to be on the stage. Like, what are you going to say? And how are you going to say it? So when you get off, people are like, that guy can help me or that gal can help me. So the oxygen is like, I would just encourage you to start, like, just go and look at your marketing, go look at your website, just really question it. Like, is this really conveying like who we are and what we do and how we help people? I hear the, uh, once this conversation goes live, our phone lines are going to light up, Chris. We're going to have all types of new web designs to do for our clients. We're going to have probably new logos, new brands. So this should be exciting. The last um, thing I'll challenge you on your oxygen piece. Yeah. If you're currently thinking about kicking off like with a branding agency, a design agency, writing a book, I would never say to not do that. It can be an amazing investment. I would just be like, am I, I'll say this. You're going to have a much, much higher probability of an ROI and an impact on anything you go do externally, like branding, marketing, design, books, websites, speaking, if you're clear first. Which is not easy. I mean, it's, it's interesting because we do a lot of work on the proprietary process, helping advisors and offices define that. 
And even giving them 85% of that framework kind of pre-built, it's still really, really tough. It's tough. Yeah. But once you've got it, it just goes back to you're the only place in town where they can get it. You know, you're not Walmart fighting against Target, which all offering the same products. No, your shop is the only one that offers it. And as soon as you're clear on how that adds value and serves them, then it's time to crank up the marketing because then they come see you. Yeah, because now you have marketing that's actually aligned with everything. So, you know, you hear me, you probably heard these three words I've used a lot, intentionality, clarity, and alignment. It's just like... All right. Are you ready for the tough questions I've saved till the end, Chris? Yeah, hit me. All right, cool. Let's go ahead and go with this one. Let's go with, if there was one thing that you would like to be considered absurd 25 years from now, what would that be? If there's one thing that I would... These are, that's an amazing question. The amount of selfies that are taken. Why is that? Probably because I don't have the confidence to take selfies myself. <laughs> no, there's no judgment in it. I just think that like a lot of people are going to look back at some of the selfies they took like 25 years from now and be like, what was I thinking? They're going to age like a tattoo does. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. 20 <laughs> selfies, 25 years from now are going to be like a 25 year old tattoo. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah. yeah cool. That's such a great question. When you hear the word successful, who's the first person that pops in your mind and why? My wife. She's absolutely my hero. Like without her, I wouldn't look truly would not be on this interview today. I would have never had the confidence and the belief in myself to do what I've done and successful maybe in the way that is like a little bit unconventional, like most people wouldn't think. She's uh, a full-time stay-at-home mom with her five kids. And what she does is the CEO of our home. And what she does is like a leader in our home and how she's like helping our kids be powerful creators. Yeah. So for me, it's just watching who she is as a mom and the belief, like, and she's my coach. Like, I've had coaches and like she's the real coach. That's awesome to hear, man. That's uh, I love the title CEO of the home too. I'm going to steal that one. Yeah. That's, what my, that's what my wife is. We, we only have three, but it's an undertaking much harder than anything either of us do. That's for sure. Oh, totally. When my wife's like, Hey, I got the thing, you know, you, you'll be home with the kids. And I'm like, Oh, I got this. <laughs> three hours later. I'm like, yeah, this every day, all day. Like, and I love my kids. It's just like, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. One of these days we'll look back and miss it for sure. Absolutely. Not, not having the constant chaos. How, what, what are the age ranges of your children? Almost, well, they're all about to have birthdays. Almost 11, almost nine, almost six, almost three, and uh, one. Oof. Dude. Five's our magic number. We're, we're good with five. Yeah. I hear you. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if four is in store for us. I don't know yet. So. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> well, it sounds like we need to get the cruise together. It, it would be amazing. And ride some horses and hang out. Yeah. So, so let's go there. I, growing up, you know, on a farm, you know, as you look at this whole conversation, really the way it's unfolded, knowing early on the first time we chatted that you grew up riding a horse, team roping, and knowing my background, I grew up on a farm, middle of nowhere, Kansas. My dad still has 200 head of cattle and grew up with our family horse, Rocky. I was instantly connected with you. And so it's just, it just speaks so much as far as everything you've said here today. And so I don't even know where I'm going with this now. I like completely lost my train of thought. But. Well, I, I want to add something to that. Like, I just, this idea of human connect, like human connection is at an all time premium in the world we live in today. Like, and the thing I tell my clients is you guys, if you, if you understand this, when you go out to have an enrollment conversation with someone, you actually have an opportunity to be one of the only people in that person's life that connects with them on a deep human level that entire week. And, and I'm talking about people that have families at home. Mm -hmm. Like we live in a world today where like 
if people live in a home with people and have you know families and spouses and kids, but the level of human connection that even happens in a home, you know, people are going into their own rooms and on devices and eating meals separate. Like we just don't understand the power that we have. And we, it's always been there, but in the world we live in today, as the world becomes more connected through technology, we become more disconnected as often as a human being. And I really believe, Brad, that the industries, the companies, especially advisors that get this are going to dominate the industry over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Like when you understand these are still real people and they crave human connection, like they crave, like it's just hardwired into us. But the biggest warning I have to give is like, don't do it as a tactic. Don't do it because you know that what I just said is true. Like don't have that be the reason you go connect with people. Like find it in you to connect with people because you really want to serve them. One of the greatest pieces of advice that a mentor ever gave me and my coach, he said, Chris, show up in life as though there's no place to get. And I was like, what do you mean there's no place to get? Like, I got five kids to feed. Like, <laughs> there's always a place to get. And what he taught me was that if when you show up to an enrollment conversation and your intention is to get them as a client, even though people couldn't question that as a bad, like, that's not a bad intention, right? Like, you may want to get them as a client because you know how much better your job you could do for them than the current. Like, you might have the best of interest, but still, that's limiting because the only place you're going to listen from, the only place you're going to hear from, the only place you're going to ask questions from is from getting them as a client. But what if the only place you had to get was just to be with them as a human being and serve? You know, like, so the first time we got introduced, you know, Garrett obviously had an intention of us doing something and maybe a podcast, but like when I got on the phone, it's like, I just want to like, who's Brad Johnson, right? And like, yeah, immediately just came up like, but see, that's what's possible when you're not limited by like some place to get. And I think even that day, maybe it was that day or the next day, I sent you a picture of me like rodeoing, like, so I was like, well, Brad, Brad will appreciate this, but just like, yeah, what it's, going had... show, it's going in the show notes too, by the way. That's, that's awesome. Sure. That's yeah. But what if we just had more of that? Like, yeah, I don't know. It, you made me think of one of the most powerful experiences I've had in my life. And it was, it was in this business. I was maybe 27, 28 years old, pretty new. And of course, I was trying to recruit great advisors out there. Um, that, that's who we work with, the best of the best. And I had a, pr- a very creative direct mail campaign I sent to a guy who at the time managed about $3 billion of assets. Today, it's closer to 10. And so he's like, hey, if, if you're ever in the area, swing by, let's grab some time. And looking back, I think it was like he was headhunting me because I sent him some creative stuff. So he thought, eh, maybe I'll try to hire this guy. I don't think I had any chance of recruiting anything in that meeting. But... <laughs> I'll never forget. So I, I go and I, I get into the reception area, greeted by the receptionist 10 minutes early to the minute when we were supposed to meet. So we had a one hour meeting to the minute. She took me back to his office. We sit down. He, the way it was set up, he had a, an, a typical office set up like an office desk. But then over to the side, there was like a little living, living room area, couch, coffee table. So we sit down over there and it's just like you're having a conversation, but I will never forget just speaking of show up in life like there's no place to get. He sat down for an hour, had the most present conversation, no pulling out the phone, no checking the watch, no like, oh, this kid's got me for an hour. What's What am I getting on to next? And there is no more powerful feeling, I think, as a human being than to have somebody be fully present with you. And it works in reverse too. Think about grabbing that lunch with a friend. The next thing you know, they're on your phone. They're completely checked out. They didn't hear the last sentence that you said. It's such a fine edge sword. So I just, I want to like, that's our second soapbox for the day that we're getting on. But um, no more powerful thing you can do as a hum- human being than just be present because I still remember that today. And all he had to do was just be there. Yeah. And like, and Brad, really think about like how many people in the world we live in today get to experience that 
from anyone. Like someone that really shows up to just like be with them, like really be, really listen, no place to get and have a presence that's like felt and experienced. Like you have an opportunity to do that every single day as an advisor. Yeah. Dude, this is a great way to end the conversation, man. So I've got one final question for you, Chris. So if you look back, and it's been really cool to hear your journey. Um, and, and what's cool is it, it started in our industry. A lot of guests I have on there don't have the extensive background in financial services that you do. So you spoke directly to a lot of people today. If there was one piece of advice that you could give the viewers or the listeners here today that's led to your success up to this point, what would that be? So most of my life, up through you know, commercial real estate and even towards the beginning of financial services, I had always been told that I was you know, a natural leader. I was good at speaking, you know, I was influential and it actually got to the point when I was younger, it bothered me because people were saying all these things that I actually didn't see myself. So I was like, man, where's the disconnect? Like, what am I missing? Right. And it got to the point where anytime someone would be like, man, you're such a natural, I'd be like, dude, just save that. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like, and what I realized was that I had actually been living someone else's version of my story. Like I'd been living a story that someone else had written for me and through some really trying times in my life. I got to this place where it's pretty low, like never felt more uh, just like a failure as a husband, as a father, as an entrepreneur. And with some really amazing people and a really amazing coach, you know, the thing that occurred to me is like, man, I'm the author of my story. And I, for the first time in my life, I actually took accountability for the fact that I had authored the story up to this point. So the, the real, the realization that every single one of us is the undisputed author of our story is sobering and inspiring. It's sobering in the fact that if you're willing to really see that, you can recognize that everything in your life that you're not happy about, you've had some, something to do with it. No, I'm not saying you've had everything to do with it, but you've written part of the story. Like you're the author, but it's also inspiring. It's like, man, every day from this, every second, like now and now and now it's like new chapter. Like, so do I have the courage to pick up the pen? And so like eight years ago, I literally and figuratively, I picked up the pen and I just wrote a new story for my life. And I wrote into that story, like, what kind of husband I was going to be, what kind of father I was going to be. I was going to be a successful entrepreneur. I was going to do something, make a difference. And then I've just attempted the last eight years. I've strived to like live into that story. So the thing that I actually love the most about story, I love everything we talked about today about like the digging in and finding out what it is and like the telling it. But I'm also equally inspired about this idea of like what story we're also continuing to write, like the creative power of story. Like I can actually write a story and then go create it. Like I can live into it. And so for me, the biggest piece of advice I would give is just, man, recognizing that you are the author of the story to take accountability for it. And then also recognize the the creative power you have, like you can write a new story and go live into it, but you got to have the courage to pick up the pen. So to me, that idea of picking up the pen means a lot to me. Like you're going to pick up that pen. There's some, there's some awareness, there's some accountability, there's some, and there's some like action, like, are you know, it's great to write it. So that's awesome, Chris. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Time flew, man. I'm excited. I know we're, our paths are going to cross here in the future at Mastermind Talk. So it'll be, if not sooner. And uh, yeah. so, thanks for sharing your wisdom today. I, you changed a lot of financial advisors' lives today. This is, this is definitely a re-listen type of episode. So thanks, man. Until next time. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's what you've created here. It's amazing. All right, Chris. Take care. See ya. Thanks for checking out the latest show. You all keep blasting me with reviews and emails on how the show is serving you. This is the fuel that keeps me cranking these episodes out. So very much appreciated. Also, the reviews and subscribes really help the show rank and other advisors out there find it. So thanks for that as well. 
Here are four more recent reviews. The first one comes to us from Logan Smith, who says, Great podcast. I just discovered this podcast and I can't get enough. As a new financial advisor, the information is super helpful. As a soon-to-be dad, this particular episode hit very close to home. I will definitely be using the family board meeting approach with my kids as they get older. Logan, thanks for taking a minute to review the show. And as a new guy to the industry, I wish I would have had all the resources that exist today when I first got started. So I'm glad you're getting them here. Jim Shields' concept of the family board meeting has been one of the best things I've ever done as a dad. In fact, I have one with each of my sons that we just did this past weekend and my daughter's next weekend. So please reach back out. Let me know how it goes once you run with it. Also, my daughter's only two, so they're never too young to start. Thanks for listening in. The next review comes to us from user AO323, who says, Excellent tips and tactics for FAs. I am new to this industry a few months in, and I have been looking for tools to get me up to speed on the language of the profession, as well as delivering tips for me to grow my business. Brad and his guests consistently deliver. I hope he gets some female guests on the show at some point. If he has, I miss those episodes. Great work, Brad and team. Thanks for the review. I can definitely get better here on the female guests as there are a lot of superstars out there in our industry. And some of Advisors Excel's top clients happen to be women as well. So if you have some great female guests you're thinking of, please get me a personal intro out on Twitter. I'm at Brad underscore Johnson. Also, if you haven't checked out Christy Peel's episode yet, that's a great one to give a listen to in the meantime. Next up is Darcy LJ, who says, Awesome Lessons. I really enjoy Brad's episodes and the amazing guests he brings on. These are people that are difficult to see and hear and Brad brings them right to my computer. There's at least one in most episodes. I have several takeaway lessons to use in my business. Thanks and keep up the great work. Darcy, thanks for the review. and glad you're getting value from every show. That's the goal. And I try to keep the guest list full of superstars you all can learn from and keep it eclectic enough that you all are surprised by who shows up at the same time. So thanks for subscribing to the show. Super appreciated. And the last featured review for the week comes to us from AJ Stoller, who says, Listened to them all. I got hooked on this podcast. It has given me many great ideas to implement in my business. I have now listened to all of the podcasts available. My only complaint is that I ran out of podcasts to listen to. AJ, I guess I have to crank up these episodes and get them out faster to keep up with you. That's impressive. As to date, we've put out over two days worth of episodes. So you are putting in some serious work. I love reading these type of reviews. So thanks to you all for taking the time to send the love via the internet. And honestly, would love to put out more episodes. However, I do this podcast in my spare time. For those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus the other way around. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. takes about 5 minutes to fill out the application so I can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Before you go, as a special thank you for listening in, if you haven't already, make sure to check out the show notes at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 41 for Chris's free gift to you all as well. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you on the next show. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.